Welcome to Multiversal Q, your guide to the comic book multiverse, now in podcast form. I'm Luke, and this week as I... And this... I'm Luke, and in this episode, as I'm discussing Luke Cage Noir, I have on a special guest for this week, Daryl Ayo. How are you doing? I'm okay. Um, Ayo, actually, but... Ayo, uh, sorry. But, um, yeah, I'm doing pretty well. Just uh, want to dig into this book. Uh, for people who are somehow unfamiliar with a lot of the good stuff that you're doing these days and you've been up to for a while, could you, like, briefly talk about what you do? Sure, yeah. Um, well, I'm a cartoonist and critic of comics and just sort of beer about the comics world. And... Presently, I'm working in the fringes of the comics world and always just working towards making my next mini comics or and or web comics. I mean, they're really the same thing. They go on the web and then they end up in uh, self-published mini comics. And then just sort of thinking about some writing that I want to do and uh, probably see some you know, new articles or pieces later in the year. Nice. So we are covering Luke Cage Noir as part of our coverage of Marvel Noir for Noir Month, uh, which is a bunch of stories set on Earth 90214, even though there's no crossover with them and very few, and like no connective strings, which is weird. And uh, these particular issues were written by Mike Benson with Adam Glass, with art by Sean Martinbrow, colors by Nick Filardi, and letters by Corey Petit. And did you have any familiarity with like any of the creators on this book or their other work? Mm, no. I know I know that Sean Martinbrow um I know that he wrote a book about noir. Like there's like there's there's actually not too many how to draw comics books considering the like size and scale of the invisibility of the comics form mm-hmm. but um so one of the few that exist is were was made by him so i thought that was interesting when i first read through this i was like where do i know that name from all oh, right he wrote that book so yeah um but other than that i don't have any I don't have any direct um, knowledge of his work in in regular comics apart from that book. And then, you know, and then, of course, I read this. Yeah. Uh, he's also done art for Thief of Thieves, the uh, Robert Kirkman series. Okay. Yeah, you know, the one that people don't think about because it's pretty much only maybe Invincible and Walking Dead with that guy. Hmm. I mean... I, I have not read that comic, so count me among their number. I think it got op- optioned off for like a TV show or something, and I never heard what came of it. Well, hopefully they make the show because um, a lot of those comics are like, you know, th- that's kind of like I don't know, and I don't necessarily know if it's the goal, but I feel like a lot of them are they're kind of tailor made to set people up for that, so you know. Congratulations and hope they get it. <laughs> and then uh, Mike Benson and Adam Glass also did some other 
work on uh, Luke Cage comics. They also did Deadpool Pope, uh, which was sort of a spiritual successor to noir since they didn't really have a lot of continuity with noir tropes, except for weirdly this series, which maybe next to Wolverine is the most noir in terms of like a rough down person fighting and uh, a mystery and uh, like a good wrap up. So. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm not going to be able to compare those because I did not read. I I, I was thinking I was going to jump in and check out the Deadpool one, but I just didn't have, I just didn't have time. I've been reading a lot lately, so had to just keep it down to just checking out this book. But um, yeah, it, it would be probably interesting for me later to to see how it further how it further goes, or how these writers can, you know continue on with it. Um, they didn't write all of the Marvel noir stuff. Just this, this one and the Deadpool one. Uh, yeah, and the Deadpool pulp is like not really connected, like totally different numbered universe and everything. And uh, like it came out after this whole series was done. Right, right. Okay, well, then let's keep it contained. Yep. Just like all the noir stories are, which I noted last night where it's like each of the city or each of the stories has their own part of New York that it's set in. So like Luke Cage is in Harlem, Daredevil's in Hell's Kitchen, Wolverine is in Chinatown. All right. It's good to it's good to know. I've only read the Punisher, um, Daredevil and this one. I read a little bit of the Iron Man, but I didn't read enough to say that I really read it. Yeah, I have at this point when I'm recording it, uh, I have not gotten to read through the Iron Man one myself yet. I flipped through it to try and find if there is a single New York location and did not find one. Yeah, it doesn't seem very. Uh, it seems like it should have been called Iron Man Pulp rather than Iron Man War, but I am not the person in charge of this. Well, and like Spider-Man, they could have done the same thing because it's Peter Parker gets bit by magical spiders and then he goes and shoots a bunch of people. So, I mean, that's not very pulp either. Or that's not very noir either. It's more pulp. Right. And I feel like it's important. It it feels to me that like in a lot of ways, in a lot of contexts, noir is a subgenre of pulp. But it doesn't work both ways in the same way that all squares are rectangles, but not all rectangles are square. But I also not I'm not going to claim expertise on the no specificity of the of the of what falls into which house. But it just it some of those things just feel very different and don't feel like like I feel like when you say noir, you want it to be either black and white and, or close to black and white and mm-hmm. downtrodden guy in a trench coat um, monologuing in the rain. You know, like, I feel like that's what it's inside about. a city. Yeah. Oh, definitely. It's got to be in a city. Not this, not the other stuff. I feel like that's just like definitely thirties pulp for sure, but not, not, uh, doesn't feel like what I believe, what I'm prepping myself to, to absorb when someone says noir. 
Yeah, I I was talking to uh, my friend Shannon, who does the Strucci Movies video series, who's been on the podcast a few times, and she was describing uh, noir as more of a cycle where there's like recurring themes and settings that are used, but it's not necessarily a genre in the same way. And uh, probably towards the end of the month, I'll have a episode on with her where we talk about it and try and determine if a lot of this stuff is actually noir. But we've got a uh, story to talk about, so let's uh, get into that. All right. Uh, why don't you start us off since you're the you're the you're the host here? I want to I want to follow your lead. There's a <laughs> lot here. Yeah. Uh, and as always, I will have fully detailed story notes and the image galleries that go up with each episode at multiversalq.com. So you can flip around and read through as we go and uh, sort of talk about everything. And so we start off with like a woman, a white woman getting killed as Luke Cage is sort of commenting on the importance of what everybody's life is as he's being let out of prison where he is known or where he's being let out of prison and back to Harlem where he is known as the power man. And uh, from there he goes, gets a haircut, does a bit of catch up and uh, meets with uh, Stryker, who is now the crime lord who is running Harlem. And like what I find interesting here is how they go with a weirder version of Luke Cage where it's a lot of the core ideas, but it's not like a straight up adaptation where it's not trying to make him fit to the piece. Like Luke Cage is Luke Cage. There's none of the Carl Lucas stuff. There's none of the actual experiment stuff. There's jokes about like he got his powers from a scientific experiment and that's why he got let out early. But that's just like people mythologizing him, which is one of the things that this whole story is about. I feel like that's the entirety of the story in in my view um, that are like he's not the whole point of the story sort of like reverses superheroes in that instead of like an sort of an explicit extension of or an explicit like multiplier of like a theme or an idea which is what superpowers generally do it sort of takes that turns it into mythology of a regular person so there's like a really wordy roundabout way of my saying that like um like everything from the regular luke cage comics is just like just yeah it's just um it's the it's it's that stuff is like theme versus text and Mm -hmm. i think that's pretty i think that's pretty interesting and when i first read this i thought it was very um i thought it was very clever in um in undoing that but actually where you brought us in the plot is possibly going to be the weirdest part of the entire um of the entire book or series or however you want to put it because um because he um dents the door with this guy's head somehow and um it's like a visual effect but i don't want to paint the story a lot yeah that's like the part where it sort of contradicts is he myth 
uh, is he an actual like myth as opposed to just being a man? Because it's like you have the metal speakeasy type door and he pulls a guy's nostrils through when he doesn't believe that he's Luke Cage and the guy's head dents the door. So it's like, is that either a weak door? Is it just for impact? I'm going to say this is actually impossible because that door is got to be almost a foot thick. So because mm-hmm. even like regular 616 Luke Cage couldn't do that because the guy's head would just break. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think maybe it's just like some mistranslation of the art or it's the myth of Luke Cage being told that that's how it happened. I'm going to just go ahead and say it's definitely the former because um, because with the latter, we don't see that we're I definitely feel like we're meant to believe that everything we see on the page is not just the text of the story, but the reality of the story. And it's people's mm-hmm. opinions that we see that may be the um, that may be the mythologizing of it. Yeah. So Luke uh, ends up talking to Stryker about Josephine, who was the woman who he had loved. Stryker gives him some story about how she had died in a fire in a hospital and gives him a necklace that she had previously had that she wanted him to have. And that's when Charlie Tuna, one of the other guys who Luke had previously beat up, pulls a gun on him. Luke remembers Charlie being a dick, stands up to him and is basically like, yeah, you've heard about me. Pull the gun see what happens and Charlie backs down and runs off which is an excellent scene especially when you reapproach it at the end right I think um, I wish that sort of stuff happens throughout the entire story but I, I, I kind of not kind of I, I extremely feel as though there's a lot of there's an entire plot of missed opportunity here to, to really explore like exactly what is wrong with this guy. Because, mm-hmm. um, because this is beyond regular self-destructive behavior, you know, like a lot of people have something to prove and will engage in dangerous and self-destructive behavior. But but when you look at this and then you get to the end of the story and look back, you're just like, like, where were you trying to go with this, buddy? With uh, Luke? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because this, this, this type of, I mean, there's a lot of, I definitely know that there is real situations where people really will bluff a lot of stuff. But this is, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is kind of. Um, like part of the part of the bluff and part of it all is is feeding into is having a myth about you and feeding into it. But I mean, imagine dying, but imagine dying embarrassed. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, what if Charlie had like pulled the trigger on him and shot him? And he's like, oh. Yeah, I wasn't expecting you to do that. <laughs> yeah, like you, like this is beyond the regular kind of just like like nerve that somebody might just have in like like adrenaline can make you do real stupid stuff. I can tell you, but mm-hmm. <laughs> this is also like like whew, how embarrassed would you be? Like, oh man, 
everybody used to think I was invincible, and now they know I'm not. <laughs> but, like, part of it is Luke is able to read Charlie, and I guess if you can stand up against the people who you know who won't fight you anyways, that's a good way to build up that myth because you aren't going to be challenged on it, but everybody's going to remember how brave you were to stand up against the challenge. I feel like a character trait that severe kind of, um, I don't know, it, it kind of makes me want them to have explored it more mm-hmm. because I feel like that is just, that is, it's just that's just divergent behavior so i just i i feel like people would be very interested in not not the kind of exhaustive origin stuff that most of these like comic book superhero things tend to do where they overdo it but just sort of like get more into like what what brings a person to this point when you survive Mm -hmm. getting shot and then you just kind of get unhinged and walk around like you're bulletproof yeah. I think it might have been something where if it was able to be filmed, it could have like conveyed some of that better or if they could have had more time to like show maybe some looking around at the crowd or some more scenes building up his myth to him. It could have worked better, but we got more story. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, Stryker leaves and Luke is left with a dancer who ends up talking about how Josephine had gotten into drugs and prostitution after Luke got arrested. And Luke is already suspicious of what happened to Stryker because this is sort of contradicting the story. And as he leaves the bar, he is approached by Randall Bantikoff, who offers to hire him to look for his wife who was murdered in Harlem, the woman who we saw getting murdered at the start of the story. And he wants Luke to do it because Luke has a reputation. He knows his way around the streets. And in return, Luke wants a fresh start, which after some pressuring, Bantikoff agrees. And Luke is even more suspicious about what is going on here because he's getting approached after he gets out of jail. And uh, I I do appreciate that. Like, it's not just him blindly going into everything. Right. Uh, I, I, my whole, my whole feeling about a lot of that stuff is in the same way that, um, you just take a lot on faith in the beginning of a story. Like everything that happens in the beginning of the story to a certain extent is just sort of as an audience going, okay because you're still learning the character and you're learning the world. So you're like, okay, I guess that's reasonable for this character to do, you know? So it's a little, so because I feel like, I think many people's first instinct would, would be to think, you know, who is this person? I would have nothing to do with them because they're just like approaching me, especially like he wasn't out walking around looking for something to do he was he just gotten out of prison and somebody's like hey i got something for you <laughs> like i mean that sounds like every red alert alarm siren in your head but <sighs> especially when it's a rich looking 
white guy in a limo. Yeah, like he asked the he asked the questions, but it's still sort of like I I cannot imagine somebody like saying like you know, why me is like, because you have a reputation. It's like, yeah, I know I've got a reputation. And that's why, you know, that's why I've been to prison in packs, you know, like I, I just, I, but like mm-hmm. you take a lot of these things just, just because they're being laid down in the beginning of the story. So you just go, okay, okay. And then see where it goes. And it's, it's good that we never have a situation where, Luke trusts the guy or thinks that things are he like Luke doesn't think anything is going straight where I think that in a lot of these similar stories, the character is um, upended a lot. And I think Luke mm-hmm. is bit gets surprised in the story, but he never really trusted anyone to start with. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So, Luke ends up heading to the morgue and he finds out that Bandikoff's wife was choked when she was murdered. And he decides next to head over to the graveyard to see Josephine's grave since the necklace that he was given is really suspicious since it doesn't show any signs of fire that she supposedly was injured and then died as a result of. And also she would have wanted to keep it. So he knows that a lot of stuff is going on. He ends up finding that her coffin is empty, and then he is uh, accosted with, by Tombstone, who has a Tommy gun with him and two angry dogs who are ready to attack him. And we get our first flashback, which is seeing how Luke ended up in prison, which was he saw a man slap Josephine's butt. He ended up throwing that man through the window and beat the hell out of him, only to find out that he was an officer, Albert Rockman. And... During his fight, Tombstone was the one who shot Luke, which he survived. So it's a good way of like quickly establishing this origin while also leaving more stuff that's going to be added on later on. Okay, yeah. Now, I don't know anything really about the Tombstone character from like regular comic books. I just, I honestly only know Tombstone from this and from um, that other Luke Cage comic, the one Cage. So I don't know if any of these have any. The, what's that? The the Jindy Tartatoski one? No. Um, talking about um, Brian Azzarello and Richard Corbin. Hmm. And. Oh, I have not read that one. Uh, I I would not personally recommend it, but um, it, it's a little bit. I don't I don't know what Tombstone's deal is because I think that a lot of these, I think that in a lot of these, I don't know you want to call them in Marvel, not Elseworlds, but these Elseworlds sort of things. They they go on this mm-hmm. recognition like you know what this is, but this is how we're going to spin it this time. But I just know that there's a character called Tombstone and I don't know anything about him normally, but I mean, he's a cool visual for sure. Yeah. Like it's, this is actually a pretty straight up adaptation of him where he's an albino black man 
with super tough skin because of a disease that he has. And so like Luke tries to beat him up and it's, he keeps saying that it's like punching a brick wall and like tombstone was always sort of kingpin when he can't use kingpin, like in the Spider-Man animated series, not the like nineties one, but the one that came after when they had the dead, when they had the daredevil rights mixed up, they used him instead and he's shown up in a few other places. But yeah, he smacks Luke around and tells him to get out of town. And Luke isn't really a fan of that. So he decides to stay. <laughs> yeah, it's almost... It's... I'm not... Hmm, I already got lost. Why? I don't see the point for... From... From a story perspective, I get it. I don't see the point from a character perspective. Like, save yourself the aggravation. Just kill the guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as like tombstone, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I especially because you could uh, like close up the grave right then and there. No one would go and look yeah. there, and uh, you'd you'd be good. But I think it's more of tombstone respecting the myth at least for the time being the importance of it and also the bigger machinations at work right right but yeah and then luke cage continues walking around his main superpower in this is that being black nobody really looks at him twice so he like one of the cool details about this is that um, as he walks around town, he just talks to all the service people, musicians, and help in these places to just sort of gain access just because, like, like, uh, um, how do you say, like, just this invisibility with come, that comes with being uh, in, you know, not a, a super marginalized person in in like a setting where people are wanting you to not exist yeah. versus versus mm-hmm. the sort of um, hyper vigilance or hyper awareness that is more common today where we expect uh, that black folks would just be more scrutinized scrutinize perfectly thank mm-hmm. you and so that's that's certainly like a very um interesting set like mm, i don't know they're, they're seen as tools as opposed to potential threats because and everyone he, thinks that they're so beaten down i think it's very interesting then we get then i think we that's exactly when we get the first clue that he doesn't have any Luke Cage powers because he is beaten bloody after following. Oh, Bantikoff. Thank you. Yeah. Then trailing yeah. the woman. And then, and then he gets knocked out and wakes up covered in his own blood. Yeah. He, he basically runs into Bantikoff in the morning, tells Bantikoff that his wife got choked to death by surprise. Bantikoff gives him some money and then he decides to keep an eye on Bantikoff. And that's also where we get the whole commentary on there's a lot of white people who like coming to Harlem for the culture, 
but not really interacting with anything. He sees Bantikoff flirting with a black woman and follows that woman and gets knocked out. And then he finds a lease in his name, blood all over the room, and the police are suddenly looking for him with everybody else in that room being gone. Right. So he, like, escapes out the window and ends up on the roof where Rockman and Tombstone are waiting for him with another group of cops. And they have papers uh, wanting him for the murder of Daisy Bantikoff and forged release papers saying that he was out of prison in time for the murder. And it's an interesting scene here. Sort of the idea of Tombstone working with all the cops in here who are white, including Rockman, who's pretty dang racist from what we do see. And so the way that he gets out of this is calling Tombstone by his birth name, which causes dissension in the ranks. He's able to get Tombstone to try and punch him out. And he steals Tombstone's gun, shoots down a rooftop water tower, and he's able to escape that way, which is a pretty great action scene. Yeah, this isn't one of those scenarios where you really can't think about it too hard, though, because I I find it very difficult to believe that even a really heavy gun could just, like, knock out a water tower. But let's just go with it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's the rule of cool. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 pretty great. And so, uh, freed from the police, he has a card with a church written on it, and that's where he finds Josephine there, still alive, but her face is horribly scarred, and she says that he never should have come back. And Luke, feeling defeated, uh, heads out. He finds Stryker waiting for him, and Stryker offers him a job running a apple farm outside of town saying that he understands the value of Luke Cage as a symbol for the community. And Luke asks for some time to think about it, runs into the bathroom, and then because they have gas lanterns in there, sets it to explode when they come in, which is another great scene. Yeah, no. Like, just that whole... It it is very good. Now, this is something that I I was going to check, but I forget, but... I think this is a callback to the like original death of Stryker in the Luke Cage Power Man. No, wait, Luke Cage's Hero for Hire series. I'm pretty sure that he like blows up inside of a, like much of the same way. Like he's like Luke Cage is like staying on a roof and there's like you see like the explosion leaking through the I don't know windows, glass panes of the. I feel like that was him right is striker the one who's um diamondback yeah that's yeah. uh that that's how he goes out in uh in the original uh luke cage here for hire it's hilarious <laughs> it, it's nice when they when they're able to do those sorts of callbacks without making them like tied directly into like having to know why they're doing yeah that. in the original series um I forget how he has them, but he has like three, I I almost said magic, but it's about the same thing, like three magic knives and they each do a different thing. And like, he basically ends up like making him drop it and blow himself up, which is like really funny because in this one, it's very similar where he's like in the room, his assistant lights the match. So he basically did blow himself up again in this one. So, you know, 
yeah, it's there are just a lot of really good scenes in here, and I I appreciate it for what it is. So Luke ends up finding the dancer who he had talked to the night before and pushes her onto the tram line where she also drops her bag further along the line. And Luke gets her to talk about how the police and Tombstone work to help Stryker take over the crime in Harlem, including dealing in heroin. And they're getting funding from someone else downtown. Also, Rockham had wanted Josephine, but she had avoided him. So Tombstone and Stryker ended up taking revenge. That's how her face ended up getting scarred up. And Luke pulls her up to save her, but she's addicted to drugs. And so she runs back onto the rails to get her bag and steps on the third rail and then presumably gets hit by a train after that. Yeah, that the only problem is that that train is moving way too slow. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's the scene where it's like, I get that you're trying to justify it that she was a victim of her own addiction, but also you pushed a woman onto the tracks and you could apparently tell that she was addicted to heroin. So Yeah, I you know. I noir. <laughs> what else can you say? It's just like there has to be like there has to be like some lady that you're fighting for or to avenge some lady who's like actually like evil and deserves whatever the story deals out to her. I don't know. Uh, uh, like, you can't, you, you can't make a noir omelet without breaking a few legs. Yeah. Without a, you got to sacrifice some women to the story. And if you're going to do noir, I think, I think that like kind of goes with the territory. So like, there's this. I mean, it would. I, yeah. I feel like it would be a little bit more like. It's it's weird because if you if this were not called Luke Cage Noir, if it were called like Joe Smith, you know, then you could. I think it would be a lot easier to accept. But even when this is like, um, how do you say it? Like a different version, we still expect to have the like all the intrinsic and. Uh, important deep qualities of the characters that we like in these things. So like to see them just being like that reprehensible is even though this is its own character, it's still just sort of like, come on, man. Yeah. It's like how Spider-Man Noir carries around a gun and he will shoot down people if they are too dangerous. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I, I have not read that one, but I feel like, I would have to see how they did it where in this one, it's sort of like, I don't think, is there a Luke Cage? Is there a version of Luke Cage where we accept him just being like, yeah, I will just put this lady into a situation where she gets killed. And I also will like also accelerate the situation. Yeah. I, it would be really, really hard unless you're going for like pointlessly dark and gritty. Because yeah. he's supposed yeah. to be a nice, charismatic guy. And yeah, this is not that. <laughs> yeah. So Luke tries putting his clues back together, especially trying to figure out how Daisy and Bantikoff fit in. Uh, Luke goes after the photographer Snap because he recognizes the lighting used in the photographs, who admits that the Bantikoffs hung out uh, 
like with uh, people in Harlem and Rockman was also involved. Luke tries to pay uh, Snap for the information and Snap just gets a photo instead, which is nice, like adding on to that whole he's an important myth. He's an important person to the community and he's getting immortalized while he's doing his actions. Right. I was just I, I think I lost the thread on that one because I was just waiting for his him to be Snap Wilson. But I guess that didn't happen. No. <laughs> there oh, no. the same thing sort of happens in Daredevil Noir, where it's really easy to wait for one person to turn out to be Electra or Typhoid Mary, and then instead it's like, oh nope, you were wrong on both accounts. Right. Yeah, yeah, but I feel like there's only so many names in circulation. So in this one, I'm I was really just sort of like, oh, okay, okay. Why do they pick Snap? Yeah, I mean, I get why because of photographs, but I but because uh, eh. when you're leaning on on another text for sort for reference material and source material. And you know that, then you, then the reader, the audience is going to be attuned to that sort of thing. So I wouldn't necessarily, I guess, no, 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 I was going to give it leeway, but I guess, I guess I would call that like a misstep in the sense that like it stands out enough that a casual knower of Marvel stuff would be like oh i know that name this is what this was going on and then it's sort of like it was sort of tossed up but not followed through in any way so like his name easily could have just been like you know well yeah though i I will comment for those who are less familiar snap wilson is a nickname for sam wilson the falcon aka captain america yeah i had to look that one up i was less familiar with that Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, if he were more popular, I'm sure that there that he could have had his own uh, noir thing too, which would have been hilarious. Actually, that would be a good one. Yeah, I uh, actually he may actually even fit just as well or better than some of the other ones. So, mm-hmm. but anyway, yeah. Uh, so. Uh, Luke breaks into Stryker's joint, steals all of his money, and lights the place on fire. And this is when we have another flashback where we see how Luke survived getting shot by Tombstone, which was he had a flask in his breast pocket. Uh, That stopped the bullets, which I'll accept that for the purpose of the story. And he threw away the flask, so all everybody saw was he survived getting shot. Over in town... The very beat-up Striker, Rockman, and Tombstone meet up to figure out how to take Luke Cage down, and they reveal their secret, Lucas Cage Jr. And meanwhile, in the streets, Randall Bantikoff gets kidnapped. Right. Yeah. Um, I just the kidnapping was... thing doesn't make sense. Like, it's... You see him get kidnapped at the end of the book, and then, like, at the start of the next issue, he's free. Yeah. I feel like... One thing that I just want to point out is that after Luke Cage steals the money and burns down the place, he's walking down the street shooting a pistol into the air. And it <laughs> might be the most beautiful thing in this entire book because it is hilarious. 
he's just he's just sort of like strolling down the street with a big bag of money over one shoulder and shooting randomly in the air with the other hand and i'm just like yeah 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 that's uh that is that is a character that is a way to be and when you also consider that the last time that like most of those people on the street would have seen him, he had survived being shot at point blank range. So they just, it, it must be horrifying to live in Harlem. Mm-hmm. So Cage ends up storing the money that he stole. Uh, Randall Bantikoff escapes and Cage returns to the morgue where he, uh, checks back on something he noted before which was the corpse seemed bloated and then he found out that oh yeah it was a bit too bloated because because Randall Bantikoff's wife had been pregnant and the child was removed and that's when Tombstone finds him again he reveals that they got Rackman to think that Josephine was interested in him knowing that it would get Luke angry and the plan to have Luke get killed didn't work. And so that's why they ended up attacking her in the face. And back in the present, Luke decides to finally get rid of Tombstone by jabbing him with the needles that inject embalming fluid into him. And then he freaking explodes. Which, that's some like, uh, phantasm shit right there. I don't know. I, I... I should have looked up like any part of science, but this, (laughs) (laughs) I don't understand because I I feel like what, what does embalming fluid do that it would cause a person to explode? I don't know if it matters. It causes muscles to harden. So maybe because he had super tough skin, it just causes pressure to build up. Sure. Why not? Why not? Where's my no prize, Stan Lee? <laughs> yeah, I just <sighs> it, it's it's one of those things where it's like the last like let me see what did he do to this guy? He he got shot and jumped up from presumably the dead. He knocked a water tower on him. What else has he done to this guy? This, this guy should should have gotten the message to just stay away from Luke Cage. But that's the thing, like. He hasn't died yet, so eventually one of them has to, and odds are three people versus one guy. The odds are sort of in favor of the three people. I mean, just the weirdest stuff happens when you get encounter Luke Cage. Just like, when did you, why didn't you get the lesson, guy? Like, it's yeah. not working out for you. And like, immediately after, Luke Cage gets into Rackman's car, where Rackman has his like arm in a cast because he's just gotten the shit beaten out of him again and again. And Luke Cage gets in the car, drives it off a bridge, jumps out, and Rackman dies in the water. It's like, oh God. I, I appreciate the style and the way that Luke Cage operates. Yeah, it's a... Uh, like... Like these are like straight up bad guys, so it's it's a different thing. You're st- it's still mm-hmm. a little weird. It's still significantly weird of of uh, how he uh, both electrocuted and exploded that lady on the train tracks last issue. But um, 
But I, I think the difference is these are both highly corrupt police officers who are actively trying to murder him. Yeah, I, but it's still sort of like this guy. This guy gets a lot of points for creativity. I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. Like he's like I, you know, these people they live dangerous lives and they know that they could be killed any day. But I don't think any of them ever woke up on those particular days thinking that. <laughs> Those weird ass things would happen to them. <laughs> well, uh, that's why you need to have like good actuaries if you're going to go into business, because you never know when Luke Cage is going to get into your car and drive you off the side of a bridge or jab embalming fluid filled needles into you so you explode or throws your uh, heroin across the train tracks and so you die twice while trying to get it. Yeah, I mean, really. I mean, I think I think that all the people who are who's left alive at this point. Uh, so at this point, it's Stryker and Stryker's men and Bantikoff. Huh. <laughs> uh. He he does a clean job of wrapping up his uh, storylines because we've still got the last parts to get to. <laughs> but I mean, as far as ridiculous overkills go. The Punisher Noir does it a bit too much because they've got Barracuda Noir in that. And like he gets the Wonder Wheel dropped on him and he ends up getting decapitated when the rest of his body falls off while he's hung up on something. That episode, I believe, is coming up next week. It's... It's a hoot until it becomes really, really transphobic really, really fast. Which is basically what you get in the 21st century with Punisher. Yeah, they... They should not do any stories with the Russian. I feel like... I feel like that was all from the same time period, so I they... Mm-hmm. I'm sure they've gotten the memos since then, because oh, yeah. I feel like that was really back around the early aughts with Ennis and um, whoever else was following suit. Cause that was very informed by that. So it's sort of like, I, f- I, I don't read Punisher comics very much, but I kind of feel like the Russian won't be back in it. any, like, I don't think that they're bringing any of that into like their TV media. I feel like they're like, no, we absolutely are not going to be using that material. I, th- mm-hmm. I feel like and I hope so because I don't want to I don't yeah. want to re revisit that stuff. Yeah, the uh Yeah, I mean Punisher Noir was like 2008 or 2009, so yeah. At least now we aren't going to be getting that cuz I think they've had more mature people and our view on transgendered individuals has become much more enlightened since then. All I got to say is I hope so. Yes. So Luke goes back to Josephine to apologize for what he did. That's when she reveals that she had a son and that tombstone has basically allowed her to live to raise the kid, but they now have him under their watch. Luke says goodbye and gets the word circulating that he wants to talk to Stryker. And they end up meeting in the barbershop where Luke got his haircut at the start of the series. And Stryker has a blade 
up to Luke Cage Jr.'s head. Uh, Luke goes in acting relatively unconcerned, and when Stryker asks for a towel because he cut Luke Cage Jr.'s head, uh, Luke hands it to him, wraps his hands with it, and the barber, who isn't really given a name, also helps to brutally take out the other henchmen that were in there by, like, suddenly flamethrowing both of them with hair chemicals. Mm-hmm. And, uh... Luke, though, ends up with a gun against his head, and the barber just stabs Stryker with scissors, killing him. And yeah, that barber has no name. And in the process of this whole fight, a old army photo gets knocked off the wall. Luke Cage notes something about the photo, and then gives the key to the money that he has to his son, and says goodbye. Which... A solid wrap-up, but we still have to figure out the big mystery. So Luke goes to Bantikoff next, or he's at a big fancy dinner, and confronts him with the fact that he looked at the army photo of a group of Buffalo soldiers, which was the term for black soldiers back in World War One, and Bantikoff is passing as a white person, even though he's actually black. He's been making a lot of money with his connections, and he killed his pregnant wife to make sure that if the kid came out black, it wouldn't reveal him for being black. Bantikoff shoots him, but as a result of the recoil, I guess, Bantikoff falls out the window and dies. And as Luke Cage stands up, he rushes out, telling the people what he saw. And as he gets close to the docks, we see that he is actually bleeding out and he tosses himself into the river because the myth is important to the people. And Josephine and Junior get to ride out with the money that Luke took from Stryker to start a new, better life. Yeah, that's more or less it, except I got that there's some stuff that could have been done a little stronger here. Uh, so, so here's how that fella dies, <clears throat> because these two pages are all over the place, I gotta say. And yeah, this guy literally wrote the book on how to draw noir comics, so I'm not trying to be like uh, Mr. Smarty Pants or anything, but... Mm-hmm. Um, oh, no, correct me, because uh, that's how I get better. And that's well, how we... No, I'm about clear. to correct him, but... Oh. Um, the, there's a page where he draws the gun, and he's leaning one way. I don't care about that that's fine it's comics you can lean your characters whichever way you want even though he immediately is the leaning the other way whatever here's the thing in the first panel on this page here he's shooting his gun and luke cage has his right arm cocked up and then um hmm then it's a full 180 so, um, so it's, hmm, I don't know how to, it, there, actually I shouldn't even say degrees. There's a, there is a flip of perspective and Luke Cage is on the same side of the picture plane, but seen from the opposite angle. And his other arm is moved downward. So it gives the, at a quick, at a quick read, it gives the impression of, of a, of a wind up and follow through, even though they are re- the reverse um, hands. But the idea is that he walked through the bullets and punched the guy through the window. 
I'm I don't think that that one continuity wise works just because like like I said in the first in the top panel he is uh reaching back winding up with his right hand and in the next panel he's following through with his left hand but it's seen from the other angle so it looks like a smooth motion whatever I get what is I, I feel like that is what's happening. Your last your last uh bad guy though, I kind of want that to be a little clearer, you know? Yeah. It's not the cleanest end, but it's it's nice how they sort of wrap everything up in a bow. And they presumably could bring back Luke Cage through bullshittery if they wanted to do a sequel like they had for Spider-Man Noir or X-Men Noir. Oh, right, right. So, I'm pretty sure that even though despite what cinema rules are, that you actually have to perish on camera or in in a comic book on panel, I I feel like we can pretty much uh, we can pretty much uh, put the period at the end of noir luke cage's story right here like he is uh he is done for uh going out old old theatrical style um so i'm pretty sure i mean that i I understood the barbershop scene i'm pretty sure that um i don't know what i was supposed to get from this except that uh that um I was wondering if the barber was Luke Cage's father because there was this sort of like this like knowing gestures everywhere. I don't know. That was just like one of those things that might just be the fact of like stories in general inform your reading of stories. So I was like, is this supposed to be like a deeper relationship than what it's saying? But I also just yeah, not sure because there's also like a and also, the barber is talking to Cage's son later. I don't know. I don't think it's that important. The barber is cool, though. He should definitely have a name. Mm-hmm. He deserves one. He's earned it. He killed uh, Stryker. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. If it was something that they hid on the like photo, it's something that they didn't make explicit enough. Yeah, because the the photo is annotated in the um, close up at the very end, and I just flipping back. Oh, there, there it goes. There's Bandikoff in the photo. Sure, sure, but mm-hmm. it doesn't indicate. There's no surnames for the rest of the characters that indicate um, anything that we would recognize as, I guess, Luke Cage's dad. Just like, just maybe that, just that this barber is one of those people from the photo or something. He's an older gentleman. Totally took out one of the bad guys, though, so he should get a lot of credit. Yep. And and also there's, like, definitely unspoken commentary here about sort of, like, the almost holiness of black barbershops and how they are just, like sacred place and all that. Um, they they had a bit of that in the uh, Netflix series as well. They did. That was better of, no, just, just barbershop stuff. I kind of feel like the story here is, well, it's much shorter, but I think the story here is tighter. But um, 
I think the that when it came to fleshing out characters and therefore fleshing out scenes and environment, like the Netflix series definitely really sends it home. Like just like pay attention, people. Black barbershops are important. You know they are an important community center. You should definitely know that. That's important in this story and other stories where they're black people. So, mm-hmm. but I just got that just because of personal experience, but I also don't know that um, I'm not entirely sure if the book really presses that on its own or if you're just supposed to intuit that or know it personally. So I don't know. I think that's a reasonable point. Uh, So we are running a bit long, so we don't have too much time for other discussion, but we do have our uh, question that we have been asking all of the guests that we've had on, which is what other characters would you like to see done in a Marvel noir style book? We mentioned Falcon, which was one that hadn't been brought up before. Snap Wilson. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, who else? Who else? Who else has earned it? Most deserves. It's like, what other urban set characters do you have? Because it's like you can do Jessica Jones, but that's pretty much she's already a noir character. Yeah. You know what I thought was interesting? Um, Did I miss something or is there not a Captain America? There is not a Captain America noir. But I mean, this is before World War II, so I think it would be a weirder and that was also my thought. I was sort of like, I, I was that was going to be my answer, and then I realized I was like, these characters are predating their normal appearance for this, but Captain America postdates or pre, no, or it's Captain America doesn't he, fit. He shows up after. Yeah, it just doesn't. But I mean, they all show up after. But he, like as a concept, doesn't seem to fit. So yeah, like he doesn't work as well if you have him be a person who fought in the Vietnam war who got woken up because he's supposed to be this pre world war two era idea of American exceptionalism. Right. And if you take him out of that era to like any point where it's criticized, he can be a critique, but he, or he can see the critiques and he can interact with them, but he cannot necessarily be the critique himself. Hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I had a tough time with this because I think that um, so much of the genre, so much of what makes this work is that Marvel is, not Marvel Marvel, but like the Marvel age starting in the early 60s moving forward is so much post-noir. And a lot of that stuff does, like I was thinking about like when it comes to like your like science fiction stuff just doesn't fit. So you have like incredible Hulk is just as like, I don't really see it unless they, mm-hmm. unless they were to do it like this, where it's not literal. And then you can't because this, this book cage already did it, you know? Yeah. Well, and like, that's the thing. If you have too much powers, you enter into the pulp range, which right. I mean, like Spider-Man noir is still called Spider-Man noir because it, it came out then, but like, I feel like if you bring in any of the other Marvel characters who don't really have powers as much, it's just a bunch of nondescript guys with guns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe you could do uh cable noir. 
or he's just a person with no memories who's trying to figure out what happened to him, who's already had the shit beaten out of him. Actually, that would be really good for a war story. Hey, this is Luke. Uh, unfortunately, for whatever reason, Zencaster cut out the rest of the episode, at least as far as Daryl speaking is concerned, which really, really sucks because we went on and had some good conversations about the British Punisher, uh, Outlaw, and uh, Mighty Avengers, both series by Al Ewing. Uh, you should check out Contest of Champions and the Mighty Avengers series and see how he handles uh, black characters in the Marvel Universe and sort of brings back some of the more interesting ones. But uh, yeah, we unfortunately lost the rest of Daryl's audio, which sucks because chances are if you are listening to this, you are listening to it because of him. Uh, so unfortunately, there is nothing that I can do. And uh, yeah. So if you do want to uh, find more of Daryl's stuff, he is at Daryl, I-O-D-A-R-R-Y-L-A-Y-O on Twitter or at littlegardencomics.com. Yeah, so I will get back to the rest of the wrap-up. Thank you for listening, and sorry again about this. It is incredibly awkward, and I wish there was a fix, but there is not. But uh, yeah, we got to wrap this one up. It's been a good one. Uh, Our next episode that is going to be going up is going to be on next Sunday where we are having a uh, where we are having Iron Man Noir, which was penned by the DC Batman guy, uh, Scott Snyder. And we're also bringing back our monthly coverage of Exiles with the second arc of Chris Claremont's new Exiles. But uh, Daryl, where can people find you online? So if you do want to uh, find more of Daryl's stuff, he is at Daryl, I-O-D-A-R-R-Y-L-A-Y-O on Twitter or at littlegardencomics.com. Awesome. Yeah, you are a vitally important voice in the uh, like comics creative scene and like I enjoy seeing your uh, interactions on Twitter. I mean, there's a lot of awful shit that you have to go through, but I appreciate you being out there and basically not being afraid to say shit that needs to be said. Uh, My normal podcast co-host, Devin, can be found on Twitter at at atfredofett. That's F-R-E-D-D-O-F-E-T-T. He'll be back for the new Exiles episode on Sunday. Uh, I am on Twitter at at Coltreg, that's K-O-L-T-R-E-G, or at LukeHair.com, L-U-K-E-H-E-R-R. And then Multiversal Q is a, yeah, shoot, Multiversal Q is a weekly podcast. We are Patreon-sponsored, where for as little as a dollar a month, you can help produce this podcast and Exile, the live role-playing game podcast that we do, where if you like pointlessly deep Marvel continuity and think that there are not enough and you think there's not enough queer representation, you're going to be in luck. Uh, Because there's a lot of that in there for $1 a month. You get the episodes a week early and a lot of other stuff at the higher tiers. Uh, You can find our image galleries, our list of every universe that we have discussed, and a lot of other stuff at our 
website, multiversoq.com. And the current third year anniversary art that we have is by Anna D'Amico, and it is very good. Uh, I'll see you back on this upcoming Sunday. And Daryl, I am definitely going to keep you in mind to have you come back for another episode, maybe later on this year. Until next time, this one's for Hank.